This is Unfiltered with John Edwards. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are coming to you from the Mike Papinchek podcast studio in Wexford, PA, north of Pittsburgh. It is September 29th, 2022, and I am your host, John Edwards. Wanted to kick off this podcast talking about the most interesting and exciting piece of news that is in the press and on the internet this week. That is the explosions of the Nord Stream pipeline in the Baltic Sea in Europe. Now, for those of you who don't know what the Nord Stream pipeline is, our fearless and intrepid press secretary calls it the Nordstrom pipeline. Now, Nordstrom is a department store, a high-end department store here in America where you can buy all kinds of fine clothing. Nord Stream is a pipeline through the Baltic Sea from Russia into Germany that generally delivers natural gas. Now, Nord Stream 1 has been operational for quite some time, delivering natural gas from Russia, where it is pumped and mined, into Germany, where it is consumed and used for heat and electricity. The Nord Stream 2 pipeline became a topic of controversy over the last year when it was completed but not allowed to go into production by various regulatory bodies in Germany and the EU. Most of this seen as a move against Vladimir Putin and Vladimir Putin's Russia, which derives a lot of its commerce and trade from energy. Now, we all know oil and gas are abundant in Russia, but there are issues when you can't sell that. There are many technical issues. You can't, sometimes you can't get it out of the ground. Sometimes you can't store it. So a continuous pipeline of gas that allows for production on one end, consumption on the other end, is very useful for a petro-state like Russia. Now, in the last few days, explosions were detected around the Nord Stream pipeline off of Denmark. The specific location has been shown multiple times from satellite images with a cloud in the in the sea in the baltic sea upwards of 3000 feet wide this is gas bubbling to the surface there are reports of the explosion being measured on the richter scale some thought it was potentially a natural seismic event others have pointed towards deliberate action by some entity most think that this is a state entity and this has tremendous implications for Germany as we head into the winter. Now, anybody who has watched Band of Brothers knows that Germany can get very cold. They call it the, the, the German Hinter, I believe. And if you're not prepared for winter in Germany, you could freeze your tail off. So, natural gas, often used for both electricity and home heating. With the rupture of the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, this means that one of the major routes, or a major route, for gas from Russia into Germany has now been ruptured. There is a lot of speculation in the media about who did this. The immediate culprit, uh, blamed by the United States government, was Russia herself. That is to say, the Russian government, with their with their navy, I, and when you, when you think about something like a pipeline, this is this is a large steel pipe, many 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 feet beneath the surface of the sea on the sea floor, encased oftentimes in concrete, that is a substantial piece of infrastructure. Now, to blow up a piece of infrastructure of this magnitude, you would need to be pretty sophisticated. So, natural natural potential culprits are any large organization with a substantial navy. If you think about the, the states um, in the vicinity of the Baltic or that could be operating in the Baltic, Russia is one, NATO is another. You know, we can't forget about the, the great Royal Navy just next door 
French, the uh, the French have quite have quite the navy. They have um, they have submarines. So naturally, you know, some media outlets said that this could have been Ukraine. I find that to be a little far fetched. You see, Ukraine n- not as much of a naval power as some of the other nations with larger coastlines, coastlines that are exposed to the Atlantic. Think think about France, Spain the United Kingdom, the United States, Norway, any European nation with exposure to the Atlantic Ocean probably has a pretty substantial navy. Now, thinking, I I mentioned World War II and anybody who's seen Band of Brothers, one of the, I would say one of the traditional geographic elements that has held Germany back over the many centuries is that it is relatively landlocked and the the ocean or the sea and water exposure that it does have is generally blocked by some other larger power like France, Britain, uh, or the Scandinavian countries. So it, it has been very difficult for Germany to access the open ocean. That made it not much of a colonial power in the 17 and 1800s, 1600s. The, the colonial powers, Spain, France, uh, Britain, Portugal tended to have enormous exposure to the Atlantic Ocean. Um, But I digress with the history lesson. You start thinking about who could have done something like an attack on the Nord Stream pipeline. Was it, could it have been a NATO ally trying to strike a blow at Russia? Could it have been Russia herself in an act of self-sabotage, potentially um, what they would call a false flag attack? All of these options are on the table, and in a, in, a, in a media which is prone to fake binaries, that is to say, um, being black or white, we tend not to hear about things probabilistically, that is to say, uh, assigning a probability to one event or another. People in the media tend to say it's, it absolutely has to be Putin, 100%. It absolutely has to be a false flag, and NATO did this, 100%. But we can think about things assigning probabilities. You know, who might have the capacity or the will to engage in an action like this? And is it in Russia's best interest to blow up her own pipeline? Is it in Germany's best interest to sabotage a pipeline that will supply its citizens with natural gas. You know, I think that in in the current media climate, we tend to see things only from one perspective or the other. We don't often evaluate a range of possibilities because it's not as it's not as sensational. It's not as exciting or angering to say, oh, well, you know, it could have been France for this reason, that reason, that reason. It could have been England for this reason, that reason, that reason. So the coverage of the Nord Stream pipeline, look for it to be very polarized. Look for it to be either Russia or you're a conspiracy theorist, particularly in the U.S. media. Uh, it, it, it This absolutely has to be Russia. It couldn't be anybody other than Russia. The Pentagon, I think even this morning, was saying it is Russia. And the conspiracy theorists are saying, we did this in order to provoke Vladimir Putin and push forward this conflict in the Ukraine. So this is another topic I would like to cover today that has seemed to fall a little bit backwards in U.S. media, and that is the current conflict in Russia, in in the Ukraine with Russia. Where do we stand currently? What have the latest actions been? Why isn't this as uh, why isn't this currently more at the forefront of the U.S. media? Now, the, the the last three days have been coverage in the U.S. media mostly of Hurricane Ian. Hurricane, my I I had dinner with my parents last night and they were glued to the Weather Channel, watching the gusts blow through, watching homes be flooded, streets that they knew in Naples, Florida, turned into rivers. I myself was sending, you know, sending videos around Instagram of supercars being flooded in Naples. And there was a, there was a beautiful, beautiful yellow and black McLaren P1 that was underwater on uh, the account crashes and on the account uh, 
supercar fails. Maybe you guys know those Instagram accounts, but you can, you can see, you know, the, the photo two, three days ago was getting my hurricane supplies tucked into the, into the, um, you know, the, the, the front trunk of the McLaren, all of the hurricane supplies. And then the next time you see it, it's sort of almost floating down the road right into a, into a tree. Now, the media loves a hurricane. Hurricanes are, they are, they are sensational. I remember when all of the, when all of the COVID, um, when everything with COVID happened in about March of 2020, my, my dad said, Hey, the media is going to love this because this is like a winter hurricane. People tune in for hurricanes. People tuned in for COVID. Similarly, people tuned in for Trump. They're not tuning in as much for the Ukraine conflict. Um, and so it can be it can be difficult at times to remember what what the status is. Currently, as it stands, Russia holds Crimea, which it has held since roughly 2014. Uh, Luhansk and Donetsk, two of the regions in the east of Ukraine, um, are held primarily by Russia, as are Kherson and one more region um, in between those, which the name of which I am forgetting, and I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I apologize. They have had referendums, which were 95% plus for joining Russia. Now, the United States is always going to claim that maybe those referendums were uh, maybe those elections were a little bit faked. Um, and notice that you can always claim that a foreign election is fake, but you can never claim that an American election is fake. Note that for our, for our listeners, where are we currently? Some of the, some of the regions in the East of Ukraine near Izium and Kharkiv have been, have been retaken by the Ukrainian forces in, in a, in what seems to be a push eastward toward the Russian border. Now, if we think about this strategically, why would why would Ukraine want to do something like this? Well, take back their territory primarily. There are also those who believe that they would like to strike into what has always been Russian territory and go across that border. So some of their forces are approaching the traditional Ukrainian-Russian border. I personally think that that becomes a little bit dangerous. The more their forces push eastward as the weather turns colder. Now, you know, it, it helps to remember plenty of people have tried to invade Russia in the winter and it has never worked out. You know, the, there, there are, have been some Operation Barbarossa by Nazi Germany in the 40s was unsuccessful. They were slowed by poor weather and that ended up being one of their most catastrophic defeats. Napoleon famously took hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of soldiers across Europe heading toward Moscow and was repelled largely due to supply chains and weather. Now, moving into Russia as the, as the weather gets colder, never, never is a good idea in, in my opinion. But then again, I am a, I am a civilian, have never been in the military, I'm nothing but an amateur military historian. I think the more that the Ukrainians move eastward, the more they open themselves up to being cleaved off from the north, like the French were in the in 1940 around Dunkirk, like the the Americans were in the Battle of the Bulge, and as and as the Russians themselves were cleaved off by uh, Germans in in the first world war. So look, look for there to be some, I think if I had to make a prediction and people in media rarely make predictions, I think as the Ukrainians move eastward, we may see some movement from the Russians from the North, trying to cut them off, trying to, um, join up with their forces in the South. And, you know, we have to Often people don't, in media, they don't talk enough about geography. They don't talk about the, the geography of these regions. Putin has control, and Russia now seems to have control, of many of the oil and gas fields in the east and south of Ukraine. Those are the resources, I believe, 
that Putin is 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 seeking. He's not really trying to recreate the Soviet Union, as so many claim. He's trying to increase the amount of resources that he has to sell to Western Europe and to other Eurasian trading partners. Um, so when you when you look at what is taking place in the Ukraine, there's a lot of there's a there's a lot of propaganda, disinformation, mixed messaging, always around Putin is a dictator. Putin is, um, you know, Putin is trying to recreate the Soviet Union. And again, this is one of those fake binaries. It's either black or white when you when you talk about someone like Vladimir Putin, as opposed to evaluating him in a number of different ways. Now, this is a relatively rational guy. This is someone who knows that he has a petrol state, and it's probably not in his best interest if there are new oil and gas deposits discovered in Ukraine for those not to be under his control. You know, that that would mean that Ukraine could become a trading partner with Western Europe and and replace the the oil and gas that Vladimir Putin is currently selling to them. So no if when you when you look at the mineral resource maps of the Ukraine, the areas that Putin has taken make a lot more sense. When you start to think about it geographically, militarily, the Dnieper 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 River that cuts through and bisects the middle of Ukraine. It's a rather wide river. And you know, we have some very wide rivers here in the city of Pittsburgh. They're, they are substantial. They're not, you know, they're not like the Arno in, in Italy, which is rather narrow. Uh, the, the Dnieper River, if you look at a map of Europe, you can see its width. It's not a line. It's almost a lake in places. That's a natural border. I suspect that the ultimate goal of someone like Vladimir Putin would be to push his forces all the way to the Dnieper River. When you and and when you when you look at it and when you think about security, when you think about uh, military actions, it's difficult to cross a body of water. So, I believe that the push eastward by Ukrainian forces is a big gamble. Um, another another news item in the last seven to fourteen days is that Russia has begun to um, they've begun a little bit of a mobilization. They are um, starting to call up some of their reserves, planning for likely greater military action over the next six months. That has caused some Russians to try to flee Uh, flights from Russia to neighboring countries, uh, increased in price three, four, five X over the last seven to 14 days. And those that is... Russian men fleeing conscription. Um, I think Estonia, I believe, closed their closed their border. Finland closed their border to Russians coming in. This is what the media is portraying. Um, it reminds me of some of the actions over the last two to three years, stopping the free movement of people uh, for. For the for the vast majority of my life, you could, I could, and 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 most of the people in the United States could freely travel to Europe, to uh, Asia, to Africa, to South America, Latin America. There were only a few places where we could not travel. One of them, uh, a notable one being Cuba, another notable one being North Korea, um, and there were and there were very. <laughs> very uh clear and understandable reasons for that we were in an open conflict with or we were you know in a in a type of conflict with cuba with north korea but for the most part we could go to canada now in the COVID era with tests vaccines mandates uh restrictions etc 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 what we saw was was a a slowdown of the ability to cross borders. So for the last three years, we've been seeing a long, slow drip of people not being able to leave their home countries and people being being restricted to their national borders. 
we've we've seen it in different ways. We, you know, we're seeing it now today. Russians are restricted from leaving their homeland because there may be conscription. And you have Finland, Estonia, and other nations closing their borders to Russians coming in. Um, and all of those things sound a little bit to me like war. Um, when you are mobilizing your soldiers, when you are starting to restrict the movement of your men, as was done in Ukraine, um, as is now being done in Russia, that points to um, that points to larger action. You know, one of the one of the catalysts for the First World War was mobilization. The the fear that one nation would mobilize before another. Germany's attacks on Russia and France in 1914 were in an effort to try to win a war quickly before their neighbors could fully mobilize. So this mobilization is something to is something to keep your eye on and something that I think is part of a a longer slower trend that we've been seeing which is the restricted movement of people. It's it's more and more difficult to get to Canada uh, over the last three years. It's more and more difficult to get to um, traditional travel destinations that we have often, um, maybe in, in the United States, taken for granted the ability to visit. So I think that the some of the subtleties of what's going on in the Ukraine and Russia have been glazed over by a media that likes to make things very polarized and likes to, again, engage in fake binaries where it's either, uh, you know, these Russians who are fleeing are either cowards or heroes for wanting to leave. Um, you know, it's not possible that maybe there's a Russian man with a Finnish wife and the Finnish wife is in Finland and he wants to go over and be with her just as we have, you know, people here, maybe, you know, a gay couple where the husband is in the United States and the other husband is in uh, Montreal and, you know, restricting the, the free movement of people across that border. Um, there are, you know, personal relationships that, that transcend national boundaries from the United States to Canada, from the United States to Mexico. This is no different in places like Russia, Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, the Ukraine. Um, you know, the, the World War One, World War Two have always been uh, have, have often been told through the lenses of personal relationships that transcend national boundaries. Uh, so this is, this, you know, the, the restriction of the movement of people is something to keep your eye on. Now, I have just gotten the signal from my producer that we need to pause for station identification. You've been listening to Unfiltered with John Edwards. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Now that we are through the political and world events portion of this episode, we're going to get into some things that are a little bit more fun and a little bit more exciting and a little less uh, dark and dreary and media-based. So, arguably the biggest story uh, this week, other than the Nord Stream pipeline, is the collapse of financial markets in the United States and worldwide. The bond market currently is down thir uh, just over 13%, which is the largest the largest drop, as the finance people call it, a drawdown in the last 40 years, going back to 1971. Uh, that's almost 50 years. That is significant because only in a, f in, in a few other years, and I can pull up the statistics right now if you will bear with me, only in a few other years have uh, have the bond markets been this low? Now, since 1977, I'm sorry, and so uh, that would be about 45 years, the 13.8% decline in the bond markets year-to-date in 2022 is the largest decline since 1977. Other years that there was a decline, 2021, there was a 1.5% decline. 2013, there was a 2% decline. 1999, a 0.8% decline. And 1994, a 2.9% decline. Now, if we look at 
the, you know, other years, uh, you know, from 1977 to 1993, the bond market was up every single year with 1982 being up 32.6%. Now, this is the first time since 1977, at least year to date. Now, a lot of things could change from now until the end of the calendar year, but this would be the first time in history that the bond market is on pace for a decline two years in a row. Why is that important? Well, bonds are one of the things that the Federal Reserve looks at um, when it thinks about interest rates and bonds move with interest rates. Um, I would say that maybe maybe I'm not totally correct in saying that the Federal Reserve looks at bond prices uh, in order to determine interest rates, but the a lot of financial analysts look at um, bond rates, bond yields. They look at the bond markets as an overall um, as an overall gauge of economic health. Now, I think most people will remember that in 2020, with the COVID pandemic, there was a there was a precipitous drop in just about all financial markets in March of 2020 as economic activity slowed, and then things went a little crazy. There were the COVID stocks that were very good, things like Zoom, um, companies like uh, Asana, companies where they, they were benefiting tremendously from the work from home movement. Other companies fared less well. The price of oil uh, dropped negative at one point in 2020 because people weren't moving around. So there was so there was a there was a backup in the in the global oil supply chain, and that meant that you almost couldn't give oil away. Now, two years later, uh, two and a half years later, even oil has gone up over a hundred dollars a barrel and is now coming down to about. Um, between 80 and 90. I don't have the exact number right in front of me, but you know, this is a weekly show. We're trying to do, we're trying to talk about trends, not exact, not exact numbers and stay away from some of the things that the mainstream media, um, the pitfalls they tend to fall into this week, the bank of England, I believe just yesterday, the bank of England decided that they were going to go back to quantitative easing. So this is, uh, in, layman's terms, printing money again. They were going to start buying assets. They were going to stop tightening. I think this bodes well that the Federal Reserve will stop, um, will stop tightening soon as well and will begin to ease because a lot of things have changed. The, the, the stock market is at 2022 session lows as of yesterday that is to say it's um the stock the u.s stock market is the lowest point in this year um and really it has been in a in a in decline since november of 2021 the mortgage market has changed precipitously and dramatically in the last uh really in the last three to six months that is to say mortgage rates were around 2.6 percent and now they stand above seven. For people who have, um, for people who have mortgages or are familiar with the mortgage math, a lot of in, in order to buy a home, generally you need a a down payment and a mortgage to pay for the price of the house, and the mortgage rate determines what the monthly payment to the bank will be for that house. The higher the rate, the larger the payment, and generally. Most people who buy homes in the, in the United States and most people who buy homes with a mortgage, what they can afford is determined by that monthly mortgage payment. The higher it is, um, the, high, the, the more they can afford per month, the, more, the, the larger the mortgage. And the less they can afford, the smaller the mortgage. Now, as that rate goes up, you're paying more and more um, interest overall on the mortgage. And so you're going to have higher and higher monthly payments, uh, relatively speaking. So a, for example, a $500,000 mortgage at 2.5% might have, and these are, you know, these numbers are likely to be off, but, uh, you know, a $2,500 a month payment when the, when the rate rises to something like 6% or 7%, 
the payment on a $500,000 mortgage could go up to four or 5,000. Um, generally, you know, rough, roughly speaking, a doubling in the mortgage rate results in something like a doubling in the monthly mortgage payment. Now, depending upon how much of a down payment you put down that, you know, that has different implications for different, uh, for different houses. You know, if you, if you put down less of a down payment, you're, you know, you're more dependent on the, uh, on, on the mortgage to finance the house. The impact that this is having is that housing prices have been pushed down potentially, you know, 20 to 25%. There's a house I have been looking at and interested in, and they just dropped the price um, on Zillow 10%. That particular home has been on the market for over, over two months. And, you know, I think, and, and there are now similar homes around it also on the market. Um, As inflation cuts into people's savings and makes the, you know, makes the cost of living every month higher, it puts more and more stress on the average American budget. This is, we are now seeing this in the, in the housing market. Um, There was a flurry of purchasing. We hopefully many of us remember this in 2020 and 2021, the, the real estate market was hot. There were trends. People were fleeing cities, which had certain COVID policies. People were um, wary of being in cities due to COVID. People were uh, buying second homes. They were rediscovering the suburbs, um, rural America. There was a there was a, a departure from cities um, quickly to avoid COVID nineteen, and some people and there were there were movements. Um, Based on COVID policies, people left New York and went to uh, went to Florida. People left California. People went to Tennessee and Texas. Some of this was also um, tax related. I mean, the general trends were people leaving higher tax states for lower tax states. People leaving states with uh, more uh, restrictive COVID policies for states with less restrictive COVID policies. This meant that a lot of homes were changing hands. And, and that, and, you know, as there were more and more purchases, well, there were necessarily more sales, but more and more bidders, houses, houses were going up, you know, the, there, there were a lot of memes floating around around the internet about um, houses selling for way over asking price that has started to cool off. And it, and, and a lot of that is because of the mortgage rate. It's, it's more and more difficult for people to afford um, you know, a certain price of house, given how much they can afford to pay per month on their mortgage. The last financial uh, topic that I want to talk about is, well, last two, inflation and Bitcoin. A lot of this has to do with inflation. So with the, with the stated inflation rate at 8.3%, um, things are costing, you know, almost 10% more than they used to. So, you know, parking, if your parking rate, uh, for monthly parking rate for a parking spot near your office was 300 bucks, look for it to be 330. You know, if a, um, bag of rice costs you $5, you know, look for it to, uh, and if I do the math properly in my head, look for it to cost about $5 and 45 cents. Um, you know, that's happening. And in, in some places it's, felt a little bit more and others just felt a little bit less gas has gone up dramatically um it was at almost six dollars for a gallon of uh 93 octane for the for the super premium those of those of us who um have high performance cars pay attention to pay attention to this market pay attention to the 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 price of premium the price of 93 um you know there was a point where it was up into the fives, even at Costco. Those of us who buy a lot of premium gas know one of the greatest places to get 93 octane is at Costco. And now it's back down below $4. So that's up tremendously from, you know, the, the ones and twos of just a few years ago. And, and, you know, for people who drive regularly, that, that's a, that's a tremendous increase to their monthly budget. I bring up gas and gasoline prices because 
there has also been a precipitous drop in the last year in the price of Bitcoin. And I think Bitcoin is potentially one of the most misunderstood asset classes or assets out there. And I would, I would like to state to my listeners that the price of Bitcoin is largely determined by the cost of energy. There, there are two prime, well, three primary inputs into creating a Bitcoin. We'll talk about this conceptually, not, not, you know, not specifically and technically. They are the electricity required to run the miners, the mining machine themselves. You can think of it like a specialized computer and the code to run on the mining machine. So the code is free. So you don't have to pay for it. And there are plenty of people maintaining the Bitcoin code. So we don't have to worry about that as an input cost. The mining machines actually have a cost that, that varies with the, with the price of Bitcoin. Generally, the people who, the companies that make mining machines sell them in terms of Bitcoin. And so their price in US dollars fluctuates with the price of Bitcoin. So there's really only one uh, and and so that you know that particular input cost um, really moves with the price of Bitcoin. So in terms of something that, that drives the price of Bitcoin, that's electricity, and electricity is determined by the price of energy, oil, natural gas, coal. Um, electricity prices have been going up with inflation, as as the you know as the fuel costs have gone up, as the costs for you know energy companies to buy supplies have gone up so have electricity prices many of you may have noticed this when electricity prices go up it then becomes more expensive to mine bitcoin and what that does is it takes current companies mining companies that mine bitcoin and it makes them it makes them less profitable so if you you, you generally don't mine Bitcoin if it's unprofitable to do so. So if your input costs are higher than what you get out the other end, it's generally in your best interest to just stop mining Bitcoin. So a lot of Bitcoin miners are, are under increasing pressure not to mine because it's unprofitable to do so. That then drives the... That, well, that has its own downstream implications, but they aren't able to mine Bitcoin and they aren't able to generate Bitcoin and they aren't able to sell it because the cost to do so is too high. And what that means is then those miners then sell their Bitcoin reserves in order to fund their operations. That drives the price down. So in, in general, you can think when energy prices and electricity prices go up, Bitcoin prices are probably going to go down. You know, in, in 2020, the, the massive rise in the price of Bitcoin from, say, uh, the two or three thousand, um, two or three thousand sort of price point to the 20,000 price point was when the, the price of oil dropped, um, dropped tremendously. And so anybody that was making oil needed a way to, well, there was cheaper energy. So, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin as in, in terms of price went up. Uh, think about, think about it this way. Energy cost goes down, price of Bitcoin goes up. Energy, energy price goes up, price of Bitcoin goes down. Okay. Moving into some, uh, more fun and, uh, and, and less heady topics. Um, I wanted to talk for a minute about live golf, which I think is one of the most exciting developments in sports and in the golf world in really the last 10 years. Uh, Live Golf, run by Greg Norman, and as we all know, funded by uh, Saudi money, as the mainstream media loves to tell us, is right now talking with Fox Sports uh, to ink potentially a cable TV deal. This would be huge for Live Golf, which has a, a championship coming up at the end of October at Trump's uh, Doral Miami golf property. They're going to be playing a course called the Blue Monster, which is 
one of the longest golf courses I've ever played. Live Golf is a competitor to the PGA. PGA is is similar in structure to the NFL, the NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, a nonprofit entity um, that you know that governs the sport. This is this is the first time, at least in in my memory, that a that in professional sports, a separate league has popped up that has really given any other league a challenge or a run for its money. In you know, in soccer in Europe, you know, League One in France, Premier League in England, um, you know, the 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 Bundesliga in Germany. There's there's only one league. And the teams move up and down, um, determine you know whether or not they're relegated. There's there's only one league for one true league for every sport in in America: NFL, NBA, MLB. Um, you know the the Canadian Football League is seen as a rung below the NFL. But right now there are there are serious players. The um, the British Open winner Cam Smith is playing for live golf and i think he is one of the most exciting golfers in golf right now and he has committed to to live there are live is doing uh there's a there's a there's a different vibe you can feel the difference between pga and live golf live feels younger live feels like it's doing more uh more fun and more interesting things with it's appealing to a younger audience and uh, you know caddyshack famously lampooned the difference between the, you know the older stodgy rules driven um sticks in the mud and the younger potentially dynamic and talented golfers live is a very exciting development and I think it's I, I think it's something to keep your eye on. It's also um, it is streaming. It's breaking the hegemony that the uh, that the cable channels have over what we get to see. It is in in a way um, it represents the internet age. They're doing things that are fun. They're doing team competitions. They're keeping it interesting. They're changing the formats to appeal to a younger audience. So live golf, uh, I am, I am paying very close attention. Cam Smith is, is my favorite golfer. Uh, love the mullet, love the mustache. I'm a long, I'm, you know, I've held the mustache and, and worn the mustache many times over the years. So anybody who is pro mustache as, as, as weak as they may be, uh, my, my mustache is, is, is just as weak as Cam Smith's. And I, I support that guy. I think he's the most um, dynamic and interesting golfer that's on that's that's out there in the pro space today. Finally, we are going to talk about the community guidelines. Um, unfiltered, I call this unfiltered because I I want to I want to talk about everything. I want to be able to say anything. I believe in the First Amendment. I put a meme up on Instagram in about August, making fun of. Uh, Hunter Biden's workout routine. Everybody will know Hunter Biden, the crackhead son of the current U.S. president. Uh, Hunter Biden, who, uh, you know, famous for sitting on the board of a Ukrainian energy company despite having absolutely no domain experience in energy and natural gas. Hunter Biden, whose laptop was not investigated by the FBI. Um, this, this this guy seems to be a... a um, a never-ending spring of content for the memers because his laptop seems to just continuously generate photos and videos of him smoking crack. Now, I took one of those photos and I made a little meme and it said, some people have been asking me how I stay in shape. Well, here's my workout routine. Uh, five minutes warm up on the bike, eight push-ups, then I get in the steam and have two white claws and a jewel. Then I take a cold shower for a minute. Then I get back in the steam and have another white claw. And then I have a shower and maybe a, you know, a cigarette or two in the parking lot. All in good fun. We know this guy likes to drink and smoke and whatever. Posted the meme. Six weeks later, Instagram tells me that I violated the community guidelines against nudity, 
of which there was oh well could have been um nudity of which there was none it was him you know from the from the waist up um with no shirt on but there are plenty of photos of dudes with no shirts on all over instagram um was uh hate speech or you know violent language of which it was not it was a joke it was you know the uh the, the workout routine of Hunter Biden, who we assume doesn't work out, <laughs> just smokes crack. Um, and, the, and the third one was, I don't remember off the top of my head, but point being, the meme didn't violate the community guidelines. Well, what, what did I do? Um, because I know a little bit about technology. I, I took it, I redid it, and I added in um, a Let's Get Vaccinated logo a buy black logo, a shop Latinx logo, and the uh, and a support Ukraine logo. Rescreenshotted the meme and reposted it. Why did I do that? Well, number one, I don't think I was violating the community guidelines, so obviously I I appealed this meme being pulled down. Um, but number two, I think this is done by image recognition, because after having the meme pulled down, I posted the exact same one and it got pulled down immediately. That tells me they scan images and they and they run them against their bank of banned memes and banned images. Um, they probably do some kind of, you know, um, hash comparison or fuzzy hash comparison for those technical out there. Um, I know how in my mind I can see how they would how they would do that being a technologist myself. And so I thought, well, you know, if I if I change this enough it'll, it'll avoid the, um, it'll avoid the algorithm that's trying to detect whether or not this is a banned image. So just by throwing in some, uh, extra little elements and re-screenshotting, I was able to repost the meme, which I think even made it funnier. Uh, this is, this is something that we need to keep our eyes on because most content creators, and I'm not really a content creator, I'm a, I'm a hobbyist memer, have most content creators, and memers have run afoul of the community guidelines at some point in the normal course of trying to be funny in the normal course of trying to, um, put their content or get their message out there. And, and they're, and they're realizing that the, that things are removed, not because of some violation of the community guidelines, but for some other reason. Now the, 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 most likely real reason is that Instagram and the Biden administration don't want photos of Hunter Biden floating around out there. They don't, they don't want people discussing Hunter Biden's laptop. They don't want people discussing Hunter Biden's business deals. They don't want people discussing, um, anything related to that. And, and so certain images are going to be pulled down this uh, like like the topic we touched on earlier, which was the free movement of people across borders, um, that was restricted in 2020, 2021. We're now seeing it restricted again in a different way now in 2022 with Russia. A lot of information has been pulled down off of the internet. You know, there were, you know, discussions of, of drugs like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine were censored on platforms like Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, d discussions of um, the efficacy of masks or the, you know, or the, the legality and uh, morality of something like a vaccine mandate. Any discussion of that was very one-sided on certain platforms. What's the danger of the truth? I don't think that there is any. Some people disagree and, and you know, and I'll, I'll take the I'll take the example of something like flat earth. Now, are you allowed to talk about the earth being flat? Are you allowed to uh, believe that the earth is flat? I would say, sure, yeah, go ahead. Are we allowed to be wrong? I think we are allowed to be. You can, you can be wrong. There's no law against being wrong. Plenty of people are wrong every single day. They made some of them very confidently about it. There's, there's nothing wrong with being wrong. We, we allow people to be wrong. And so something like, something like flat earth, um, is it, is it harmful to 
have you know flat earth as a as a theory or a concept out there um if it's if it's very easily debunked with math with you know with geometry with uh you know a little bit of uh use of a, a ruler and a protractor um i i think it's i think it's pretty clear that that doesn't harm anyone now where it gets where it gets dicey is when the the truth goes against something that is profitable and so i i think what we are what we are seeing and what we we must keep our eyes on is the 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 way in which um certain companies people uh wealthy individuals their uh bottom line is impacted by the truth they will always act to censor it so um you know, we, we, we saw this in 2020 and 2021 with COVID. Anybody that had anything that went against the CDC narrative, as much as the CDC narrative has changed in the last two and a half years, um, you know, what, what people were saying on the internet in June of 2020, what people were, you know, thinking and believing about COVID in June of 2020 is, is now current policy uh, from the CDC. So, you know, they, as they were saying that, you know, the science is allowed to evolve. Yes, the science is allowed to evolve, but we need to, um, you know, we need to be quick in evolving the science in order to, you know, in order to help people immediately. So tying COVID to the community guidelines, keep your eyes peeled for any entity that is trying to suppress you saying anything about any topic or about any person. Um, there is, there should be, uh, you know, people should be allowed to be wrong in a free society and, and debate should be encouraged showing someone that, you know, that they are wrong, showing them Archimedes calculations and the, and, you know, mathematical proof of say, uh, something like the roundness of the planet shouldn't be that difficult and showing somebody, you know, randomized, randomized trials of a particular drug shouldn't be all that controversial. So we have covered the Nord Stream pipeline. We have covered the war in Ukraine, the current turbulent financial markets. We've done a little pass by the community guidelines and live golf my name is John Edwards. This is Unfiltered with John Edwards, and we are on the Mike Papinchek Podcast Network. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, before we end things here, um, I do want to just add something. The other day I was uh, on Facebook, and you know how you just kind of scroll through, right? And face oh, yeah. Facebook was, like, not functioning. And... It said, uh, well, you've been banned for 29 days for posting something. You've been banned for 29 days. Or whatever. I've been restricted. Oh, man. I, and I didn't post anything that, that day. And What's it the, was a picture of Hunter Biden. Yeah. Smoking the go. crack yep. with his shirt off. Yep. And it was nudity. And it could have been you. I, I, it, so anyway, it was posted in 2021. Oh yeah. It was something that I posted in 2021. But this is this is happening to um to memers all over the place. I have a, I have a buddy who has a Hunter Biden meme account. Yeah. And his whole page got taken down. Yeah, and I just said no. I just you can go through and uh appeal. Appeal. Yes, you can appeal their their decision. And when it asked me why, I think I just like selected other or something, just something rant. Because you know what? It didn't matter. Whatever. 29 day suspension or restriction on my account. Right. Oh, well. Yeah. It's Facebook. Not a big deal. But it got overturned. They were like, oh, we're, we're sorry. And my Facebook was a restored about two minutes later. Oh, so, you know, it's, you know, it's really funny about that. The, in, on Instagram, when you're on the phone. I had I had you know a, a prompt from them telling me that somebody had some meme had been taken down because it violated community guidelines, and it there was a big blue button that said okay I understand yeah and then in very little writing underneath uh, don't agree you can appeal right yes here. and and if you touch the appeal it doesn't work right away yeah 
and it doesn't go through. And yeah. so they 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 really push you. And we've 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 seen this this yeah. UI trick over mm-hmm. the years. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, do you want to subscribe? Big old yes, and then little tiny no over here. Yeah, we, we're, we're everybody's familiar with yeah. with that one. But they made it really hard to appeal. And there's yeah. no place that you can go in. And I don't have I don't have a Facebook account anymore, but I okay. do have an Instagram account. Yeah, there's no place that you can go to to find your appeals. There's no spot under settings. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I have no idea, but I just thought it was so bizarre that a year later, you know, 2022 now, right? Because because it even said I posted it today at like 316. Oh, I'm like, yeah. okay, I didn't post anything yeah. today at 316. <laughs> so as I'm going through the appeal process, I realize no, I, I posted it in 2021, back when all of this was kind of like all the Hunter Biden. I mean, they're still out there, but back when it was really coming out. Everyone was posting him smoking crack half naked, right? Well, it's it, it's like I, I remember seeing you know this meme of like like a guy like trying to like avoid you know another guy with a knife, and it was like the the guy with the knife. It was somehow even more videos and photos of Hunter Biden smoking crack. Yeah, it's they just, just they just keep coming. Yeah, it's really and and I don't know why you would take so many pictures of your uh, of yourself as someone yeah. in his position. In such compromising situations. Well, the the latest, the Daily Mail had a dump of him at a uh, like a, a four thousand dollar a night house in Malibu with a with a with a pool slide and a bunch of hookers. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's like this guy. You know, even just, even when your dad was vice president, you know, vice presidents yeah. are they're there. They're obviously very high profile, right? But it's still the vice president, and it's. It's seen as not quite important as as the president, you know, if right. you think about it. And maybe he thought, well, whatever, you know, I can get away with all this because he's just the vice president. Well, once you run for the big chair, all every, nothing is off, off, off limits pretty much. But I mean, like this, this fascination with crack and hookers isn't yeah. new. Yeah. <laughs> like how many how many people do you know that there's just sort of all of a sudden... Are like you know, hey, you know what I got into? Crack and, and hookers. hookers. Yeah. <laughs> nobody, nobody, like all of a sudden, like discovers. They're like, hey, wow, crack and hookers. Wow. that's great. That he's been doing that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's it's just the, he's but, got the baby mama who's the stripper. Yeah, I just think my like point is, you know, yeah, his dad was a senator from Delaware. It's like, well, first off, but when wait, wait, his dad was one of the longest, yeah, you know, longest tenured senators in the, in, yeah. you know, in in DC. That guy was in DC for a long time. Long there are photos time. of him, you know, with hair. Yes, back when he started, he had hair. Yes, yes, and then he didn't have hair. Yeah, and now he has hair again. Yeah, well, and you I know. mean, well, that you know how how that worked. It was that, fake hair. That's how it goes. That's how right. it goes. You know, but anyway, I mean, the hair is as fake as the as, as the things that he says. Hey, guess what? According to President Joe Biden, the pandemic is over. So, well, so we can all celebrate, right? <laughs> but it, that, but that could be another hour of content, right? Right there, right? I mean, I hey, <laughs> let's let. Are we recording? Let's yeah. keep recording. Here, this was this was something I was going to bring up, and now that now that we're in this sort of the the free, the free form uh, part, I got a letter from Highmark. Yeah, that I'm getting a a, a rebate, a refund. Yeah. For my 2021 premiums, I, I have said, gotten this letter also, but I'm no longer with Highmark. I'm with UPMC now because I because you know as of 2022. Yeah, remember when there was the threat of the split? Yeah, and then I think he's running for governor now. That's Shapiro, I think. Shapiro, he, yeah, yeah. He like came in and was like, "You, you guys, you guys can't just split. You can't, you can't do this." Yeah, so I had Highmark, and because all of my doctors and everything I use is is is, is UPMC. I switched in case they did split. So okay. if, for those who, who don't know, here in Pittsburgh, we have um, um, High, Highmark and the Allegheny Health Network and, and the UPMC, University of Pittsburgh Medical Center. And they, um, they were going to basically, uh, if, you, if you have Highmark health insurance and want to use UPMC, you would not be able to. And vice versa. And vice versa. So there was this threat that there was literally going to be, like if you have Highmark, 
but all of your doctors are UPMC, you would lose them. You'd have to start over, get all new doctors, et cetera, et cetera. And it was a huge like fiasco. And I, listen, I don't know any of the details. I don't know why they couldn't work together. And I'm not going to go into it because I, I just don't know. And, and if you know maybe a little bit, you, you can explain. But uh, but Shapiro, who is now running for governor of Pennsylvania, was the attorney or is the the, the attorney general, right? Yes. Current and, attorney general, Josh Shapiro. Um, he's running for governor against uh, Mastriano. Yes. Um, Shapiro is a Democrat. Uh, so the for, for the audience who are not in Pittsburgh and don't know about this situation, UPMC is a is traditionally a hospital system, which then started offering um, health insurance. Yes. And Highmark was traditionally a health insurance company related to Blue Cross Blue Shield. And when UPMC started offering insurance, Highmark bought a healthcare system. <laughs> so they have uh, AH and Al- Allegheny Health Network. Yeah. So these are two large um, healthcare entities in the city of Pittsburgh, and they've kind of bisected the whole the whole city and region into two. And so there are UPMC doctors and there are AHN, Allegheny Health Network doctors. And what, what Michael was referring to was all of his doctors were at UPMC and his health insurance was with Highmark. Um, there were... UPMC was going to uh, deny reimbursement to anybody that went to an AHN doctor. And Highmark uh, was, I think, potentially going to do the same, but it was certainly on the UPMC end. And the the government had to intervene and say, you know, hey, that's anti-competitive. You really can't yeah. do that. Um, but I guess going back to the, the rebate check, I, I, this is... Just you so know, you know, I've yeah. never I received one. I, I what do you mean you've never you never received the check? I got a letter. Yeah. You used Highmark at some point. Yeah. You will get a rebate rebate check. I've yeah. never gotten it. Was it direct deposited? Maybe I don't know. I've never seen a check. When was that? I last they year. Usually, they I want to say send a check. I last year probably. I I just kind of I think I I threw it away. I don't think I even still have it because I thought it was like th- 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 this has to be some kind of mistake. You know, so uh, you'd think you'd think the one that I received was about 2021 and I, I had a high mark last year and I will probably continue to have them next year. Um, but what what the, the content of the letter was that the the healthcare costs were below what they expected. And so, the, you know, they're legally obligated to adjust to, to give back some premium. And yes, for. Most of my adult life, I, I remember my, my first job out of college. This was this would have been two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Um, the healthcare costs went up, and we had this meeting, and they get you know there was, you know, there, all of the people at the company were you know disgruntled about how you know they were going to get sort of we were going to go down a tier in the health insurance plan, but we were going to offer this like, you know healthcare card in order you would like pay for certain things with the healthcare card. And that was like, they, you, we, we were trying to like, they were trying to organize the health insurance such that like we all had the, like the next tier down, but then there was like a pool of money in like an HSA for us to have the same level of care covered by the company, but with the company saving money. And like, it was just, it, more complicated. This was like pre-Obamacare. Mm-hmm. It just was complicated as shit. I mean, not that Obamacare made anything less complicated. It's just, you know, it healthcare has always from when I graduated from school and you know started paying health insurance myself and to about now, healthcare costs have always gone up. Um it's always been more complicated and the and the shit covered by the health insurance has always like decreased. There's always been more and more stuff that I have to pay for out of pocket. Yes, yes. Last year, 2021, all of a sudden, like my premium was lower for like, you know, the the same tier of coverage. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. That's the first time I've ever heard that the premium went down. But then Highmark sending me a thing saying, actually, um, we owe you some money back. I've never, I have never experienced that. Yeah, yeah. And and so. I'm, and I'm still waiting for my check. Well, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm still waiting for mine, but I guess I, I mean, well, that. If, wait, so you got your letter last year also? No, I got my letter last week. Oh, I got mine last year sometime. This yeah. is for me. This is, um, from a, from, from a, um, like I'm looking at this from like a, you know, 
shit that's not normal. Like it, it for me, yeah. it's it's not like that's not normal. No. Health insurance companies never give you money back. No, no. They always try to screw me out of money. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so like my I guess my like conspiracy brain goes right to what's going on here. Yeah. And 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 I think I mean okay so here's here's sort of like high level um where where my mind is at it's like the people who um okay so like covid and you know over the last 2 years like a lot of people have passed away sadly generally mm-hmm. the 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 older uh those who were unhealthy i mean if you were old and infirm if you had you know uh, comorbidities a lot of you know issues you know the the covid era um, we lost a lot of those people, sadly. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of like continue COVID hasn't gone away. Um, these sort of, some of these health issues, maybe there are health issues brought about by the lockdowns. Um, I, I remember, uh, with, I remember some statistic where like something like 80% of the, of the, of the medical costs, um, in a person's lifetime are in like the last six to 12 months of their, of their, of their life. Oh, I could imagine that. And end of life care, hospice, uh, chemo, things like, you know, stuff like that. I I think we may be seeing in, in, in the healthcare finances, that impact that, that some of those people who, you know, maybe would have kept going for a couple of years and then the diabetes would have really, or, you know, uh, the, the cancer would have set in, they just didn't make it through COVID. You know, grand, yeah. like grandma didn't, it's, it's, it's kind of gross and sick to talk about, but like, you know, all of a sudden there are lower healthcare costs and you go, how is it in the COVID era that there are lower healthcare costs? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's some combination of like, people aren't going to the doctor. Some people don't trust their doctors anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't, uh, don't want to, um, people have always sort of not wanted to go to the doctor. Uh, but I, I think, I think a lot of people who would have, um, who would have cost a lot to the, to the healthcare system over, you know, over the last two or three years, um, you know, didn't, didn't make it out of the, out of the COVID era, which is a little morbid. It is, (laughs) but it's a, something I've never thought about and a very interesting insight on that. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to unfiltered with John Edwards. Uh, please visit tmpspodcast.com to check out this show and other shows in the TMPS network. And thank you so much for listening.